You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's like musicals. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm Joe Carroll. I'm in the cast of Frozen. I'm Dan Tracy. I'm in the cast of Waitress. And we're here to talk to you about Broadway. A couple Broadway insiders talking about all sorts of Broadway stuff. This week, we got Boys Dance 2. We got some feedback from uh, the questions uh, that we did uh, last week. We're talking a little bit. We're going to clarify a couple of things. We have a wonderful interview with Eric Bergen, Madam Secretary, Jersey Boys Film, Jersey Boys on Stage, both tour in Las Vegas, Eric Bergen. And he's also was a star of Waitress. Indeed. Uh, for a, a little while, did it twice. And yep. we talked to him. He's really funny. Uh, that's at the end uh, of the show. Uh, we talked to him for like an hour. Uh, yep. He just about all sorts of things. So we're going to get into all of that. Let's go. So an actor is saying his lines yeah. and then out of nowhere, he just starts singing. Five, six, seven, eight. So, an actor is just just and he just starts singing. An actor is. How was your week, Dan? My week was pretty good, man. You know, it, this this this. Let's just jump into it. Yeah. This uh, boys dance two thing is was a really interesting occurrence. Holy cow! Because was that not the reason that we started this podcast? That's the reason that we Isn't started like, the podcast. Like, like, it was just like as soon as that was happening, I was like. See, They're, like this is exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, this is exactly what this whole this whole idea that's the, uh, the kind of synthesis where it, yeah, of where, where it came from of of why we we chose to do this in the first place because yeah we're just a couple of guys who like musicals who got if bullied I had for a, doing musicals if I had a effing nickel the for the nickel. amount of times yes. that I was made fun of because i liked doing musicals yeah i, I would be rich i know i'd have much I, more I, money than i have now yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly which is which is basically not <laughs> no and and that was like just if you guys didn't catch the news basically what happened was the good morning america uh did this thing where basically uh laura spencer was making fun of prince george uh for uh having ballet in his curriculum at his school in england and and Broadway, Twitter, Broadway, Instagram, Broadway, the community just went nuts. We were like, this woman was laughing and, 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 you know, it was pretty wild. It was I mean, pretty we wild. might want to just drop it right in here. Yeah, we'll just do that. Here we go. This is her and what she said. William says George absolutely loves ballet. I have news for you, Prince William. We'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> The most deeply upsetting thing about that is this this audience applause. Yeah. What the hell is yeah, that? Yeah. Like it was some kind of like moment that we we're going to build up to like A, crushing this boy's dreams oh, yeah. and B, like <laughs> how does that not feel homophobic? Yeah. Or, how does that not, not feel? Not that it has to be homophobic, yeah, but yeah. like, you know, boys aren't supposed to do ballet because why, Lara? Yeah. yeah and and, and, and like, like, it was bullying. It, it, it could have been painting. Yeah. It could have been painting. It could have been poetry. It could have been, 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 been photography. Yes. It could have been. It could have uh, been astrophysics for whatever. You know, she could have just, but like, she just picked this thing to make fun of. And it's something that we have we'll all see how been long made, that lasts. We have like, been made fun of 
for a long time. That's literally where the kind of, that was, that was for me the most, the most disheartening thing about it. It was like, like people are going to get bullied for things for bullying. Bullying's not going away, of course. But like, why do we have to promote the bullying of this child who wants to do ballet? And so basically then what happened was uh, the Broadway community, all everybody who's ever taken a dance class basically came at her and was like, you know, here, here, here are our stories. Travis Wall started a, a movement on Instagram and Robbie Fairchild and people just posting about what dance has done for them. These men, especially who have gone through the ballet world and risen through the ranks and, 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 you know, the bullying that they have dealt with and, you know, the, the strength and the, and the passion and the, that comes from dance and comes from growing up in the dance community. And if you didn't see like the posts from, uh, from Max Clayton and Travis Wall and Robbie Fairchild and Charlie Williams and some of these, these Broadway dancers, like just go back and like read, a, read some stories because they were really, really, uh, yeah, it was a touching. really, it was a really cool supportive day. And, you know, the sad truth is that like a lot of us who didn't dance, <laughs> early enough wish we had right which is definitely my story and i know you took some dance in in high school joe while you were playing hockey and you weren't allowed to tell anyone because why and you know now i watch i watch these guys lifting girls over their heads and you're like wow i wish i had that strength yeah yeah i well, wish i could be intimate in that way in that that beautiful beautiful physical way yeah with a woman on a yeah, stage yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm, it's like it couldn't be more appealing to me i'm like what are you guys even watching? I know. I, yeah. yeah well, it's just so, it just doesn't make any, any sense. Yeah. Well, and this is, it's just, it's the stigma around this, this idea that, right. that ballet is not a masculine, uh, you know, it's not like playing football or something, which is just, which is crazy to me because also, and I used to, I used to, this was the only comeback I had. Cause yes, I played, I played hockey and I danced with a ballet company in high school and I was really bad, but I tried really hard. And that's what I posted on Instagram is this, this picture of, of me in white tights in high school. Um, I was not very, good, but I tried really hard and I've gotten jobs. The two biggest jobs I've had in my career, Frozen and Cinderella came because I know how to partner because right. I know how to pick up women and I know how to set them down without hurting themselves. And that is because I took ballet. Right. So I owe the majority of my career to dancing and ballet, even though I'm not a quote unquote, like a, like a really fierce uh, dancer, like, like, right. you know, you go see a Moulin Rouge, but my buddy, Max Clayton, who's one of my best friends posted this. And this is, this is one it was my favorite. He said, when a character cannot find the words they sing, when the emotion is so strong that even the melody of their own voice cannot express it, they must dance. Dancing heals and has changed my life. I'm so happy I never listened to people like you, Laura Spencer. You'll find me leaping by your office window and route to my show where you can watch a group of insane male athletes dancing our asses off on Broadway eight times a week at Moulin Rouge. And then he posts this picture of him lifting Misty Copeland, the most right. famous ballerina in the world. Like this is a guy who was a basketball player. Max Clayton could have played basketball in college. Right. And he chose to, um, to dance and he, and he's been one of the most successful dancers on Broadway. So I just, yeah, he's I, so I many loved things. this, the outpouring, the community was like, listen, and she, uh, she offered her, uh, an apology and, yeah. and that's the good of social media. Sure. Like this was a group of people who were saying, Hey, this is not okay. They banded together and they said, you need to issue an apology. The tweets and the Instagram outpouring was crazy and it was so inspiring. And she issued an apology and she was like a real one, like went on the air and right, actually right. apologized, which was really cool. Yeah, and cool. They, covered, they covered a lot of the 
the kind of protest, the yeah. ballet bar protest. Yeah. And, and they danced, uh, they did a big ballet class outside of Good Morning America mm-hmm. that was led by Robbie Fairchild and Travis Wall and Charlie Williams and these guys. So, so anyway, just to wrap all cool. that up, I just want to say to anyone listening, whether you're a parent or a friend or a fan, um, your words matter yeah. and they matter even more when someone is young. Yeah. I can take, I, I, I have a sensitive ego, so I don't like a lot of criticism about the things that I love, but it was even worse when I was younger. Yeah. And this six-year-old boy wouldn't know to not love ballet if it weren't for people telling them that they shouldn't. Right. If he's allowed to love whatever he wants to love, right. then he will continue to do so. Yeah. And I hope to live in that world. Yeah. And I hope you do too. Yeah. And my, the, the way I'll wrap it up is the, the quote from South Pacific, you have to be carefully taught right. how to hate and fear. You, that's not in, innate in anyone. It is a right. learned behavior. Right. So your words matter. And um, yeah, I'm glad that it all got resolved, but it was quite a week. Me too. Let's move on. Uh, We got to clarify some things. Yeah, Uh, we got some great feedback. Thank you so much for your questions and your comments about the podcast and and about all the the stuff that we talked about from equity and, um, you know, the stunt casting and all of this stuff last week. Um, Doorman at my show, Russ, shout out to Russ. We love you, Russ, um, made a really good point about equity and non-equity. If you live in a city that is not New York City, Chicago, Seattle, San Francisco, um, you know, any of these great theater towns that have professional theater, there, there is more work for non-equity people in some of these cities. So the choice to join equity in Chicago in particular, I've talked to a lot of friends, is a really hard one because there's tons of non-equity work, great non-equity theater in Chicago. And to join the union in certain cities may take you out of uh, the chance to work. And so if exactly. you're living in a particular city, um, you know, with a great theater scene and, you know, you're like, listen, I'm, I'm doing shows at the, you know, in the Seattle area or the Chicago area or whatever, um, joining the union may not be the right choice uh, if you're, you know, not in New York City. Um, where- and that goes along with what we were saying about uh, context. I think the context right in which you make that decision right. is solely yours. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean anything less about you. Yeah. If you decide yeah. that for your life, right. you don't ever want to join the union. Yeah. That is completely acceptable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um, don't tell the union we said that. But, <laughs> well, but it you is, know, you know, it's incredibly important for you to yeah. make decisions that will like feed your soul and make you happy. Yeah. And that's more important than status or fame yeah. or whatever you think is associated with that next step. Right. right. And if you want if you're like playing great roles and great theaters in, in, in your hometown or in a city and you're loving what you're doing, like you don't have to, it's not, it's not a measure of success. Joining the right. actors equity is not some like benchmark. Um, that being said, you know, we are very pro union. We love our union. They give us healthcare and they give us, you know, pensions and, you know, they help us with our life and protect us, you know, when working on Broadway. But if you stay non-union and you're working at a, th- at a theater around the country, like we, we love it. We support you. Yeah. 100%. That works for us. Do you, do you boo? boo? Um, so the other thing I also want to clarify from listener Jack Sipple, who just finished uh, as the dance captain in the prom. Yeah. He wrote us just to clarify some things about our uh, discussion of swing payment. Yeah. So we were pretty close to being spot on. The thing that we missed was that swings don't get a bump per role in the ensemble. Swings are paid the equity minimum ensemble 
and then they get a weekly bump for being a swing. It's not based on the number of tracks that they cover. Got it. They will only get a bump when they go on for for those principal tracks that they cover. Yes. As every ensemble member does, as right. every understudy does. Yeah. So just just clarifying That's a good that one. little Thank piece you, of um, of information. And it is wildly complicated. It's like, super complicated. So if you followed this last week, uh, you know, thank you for, for, I felt like I was just talking nonsense I know, for a lot of that. Me too. Me too. Cause it is complicated. Um, but it's not complicated to the people who are living that li- Like if you right. are a swing, it is, it is stone cold, simple. This is, you know what I mean? So right. we, we need to, you know, be more clear. So thanks Jack for writing on about that. Totally. All right. We've got some more questions here. So, um, and I just want to say before I, I do ask this question, these questions being asked fuels me. Yeah. <laughs> I, me I truly am getting up in the morning, immediately checking to see if we have questions. Like, yeah. So if you're listening to this and you have any thoughts or feelings or questions or anything about anything, please yeah. ask them. Because please. we love it. So that's much. another reason why we take our time every week to put this thing together is because we want to help. And so the more questions you ask, the more we can help. And And if we don't answer them on the air, I've been sending personal videos to people. Yeah. So, you know, we just I can love do it. that too. Shout and we, outs and we have this whatever. this what do we call like useless information. We have all this like you know like stuff that yeah. so many people don't care For about. Sure. That like if you care about it, that makes us feel good that we care about it too. Totally. You know? And frankly, if I were eighteen years old and had this outlet, it would have been immensely helpful yeah, to yeah, me. So yeah. if you know anyone who needs this information as well. <laughs> Throw them in our direction because like I definitely could have used a couple of mentors when I was 15 to 17 to tell me to take dance class and to tell me, (laughs) you know, to encourage me to do these things that no one around me was doing. Right. And I had to kind of like negotiate into. Right. Um, My parents were always very supportive, but it was, there were still things that they could have never known. Right. And that my teachers who hadn't been in the business for 20 years, they didn't know either. So we're here for that. We're here to help. And uh, now I'm rambling. So I'm just going to get into this next question from <laughs> Steve underscore Oliphant, who is a longtime listener of the show. A long time. We've been open for 12 episodes. Yeah. That's, well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. No, Steve's been listening from the beginning and he usually sends us a little comment, which is really cool. We appreciate that. Steve says, my question was weak. So let's try this one. I've somewhat recently discovered, quote, the stage door. Mm-hmm. what is stage door etiquette for the actors and what do the actors expect from from patrons at the stage door which is an interesting point of view i love this question so much why joe because he's asking like he's asking about it from the perspective of the people who just performed sure uh Stage door, stage dooring at shows is basically, you know, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. You go see the show and then you, you stay by the stage door and get autographs on your playbill or something after the show. Um, it's gotten out of control in the age of social media and in the age of celebrities on Broadway where sometimes, and this has happened to me on a number of jobs, you can't leave your show because there's just so many people clamoring for autographs, clamoring for pictures, blah, 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 blah. And I feel very strongly about actors' mental health and safety and the fact that it is a job. People don't show up at your accounting firm and ask you for autographs and pictures and stuff. We love that stuff. We love 
coming out and getting to talk to the people who have just seen the show. Especially like, I love it. It's frozen because it's so many little kids and they hate me as the bad guy in the show. I come out and they're like, we don't want your autograph, Joe, you know, Hans, like, like, you know, you were mean to Anna, which I just, and I have a million stories about that, but we love to come out and, and sign autographs and take pictures. Sometimes, sometimes people got to go home without signing. Sometimes people get, you know, sick family, whatever. And it is bonus. And I just feel like if, if you as the audience member can realize that like from our perspective, our work is from curtain up to curtain down. That's what we have. That's what we're paid to do. That's what we like to do. That's what you have come to see that that's where it stops. So a lot of times like at our show, like Casey Levy has a, has a child. She's going right. home right away to be right. with her kid for like a second before he goes to bed, you know? Right. And you know, Patty talks very openly about having anxiety at the stage door because there's so many people and there's so much clamoring and pictures. And so she gets, she actually has had anxiety attacks at the stage door trying to just leave the show to go home. So right. I think just full-fledged respect and like gratitude is is just so appreciated. When we come out and we're all sweaty and like just want to go home, anybody who's just like really patient with us and kind and and articulate and doesn't expect anything like that though that's the best and i i love it and we'll you know what do you think dan now i think that the stage door is a really cool opportunity for you to connect with audiences and for audiences to connect with you and i know that when i was growing up meeting people at a stage door was like the single most exciting part about the show for me totally but we need a little bit of um, we need a little bit of empathy from people at the stage door because the jobs that we have chosen are incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, Shoshana, when she was on, was talking about how th- the third act is required, meaning mm. it's required of the lead of the show to go out and sign autographs. Mm. And while I hear that, yeah, um, and deeply respect that. And every time I'm on for a principal, I do go and sign autographs. Yeah. There is a point when you don't need to apologize for not going. And that, yeah. that's, that's the, the part that gets when really tricky. I think what's, to- what's going on right now, just to give you guys some context, uh, what, what Joe is talking about is it's getting really out of hand. So what, what, what has sort of happened, I'm seeing this right now, so I'll just give you an example of exactly what's happening at our stage door. We have Colleen Ballinger and Tadra Call in our show at Waitress right now. They have incredible followings on multiple platforms and they've engaged audiences in a, to a level and an extent that Joe and I dream about. Totally. But what's happening is at the stage door, Colleen is out there signing autographs for two hours after the show. On a on, a, on our her first two show day on Wednesday, we curtain came down at four thirty, and she was signing until six o'clock, and then had to do like half hour was at six thirty for the next day, and she said she didn't even get through everyone. She eventually just took group pictures with people, which is kind of she's like signed autographs as much as she can, and then she takes group pictures with people. Now, the reason that I bring this all up is to give you guys context context of like what this feels like for us because it's incredibly overwhelming and there isn't enough time and we are doing eight shows a week and that is very taxing in and of itself than to spend an extra hour and a half 
signing autographs and connecting with people can be incredibly difficult. So the thing that's happening right now that I think that the industry could could use some help with figuring out is that at our stage door, we have uh, probably close to 300 people looking for autographs. And there are anywhere between 25 to 50 people waiting at the stage door who did not get tickets to the show. Right. And yeah. that is incredibly difficult for me to to watch and see many I, I it's something that I like need to process because I'm having a lot of like <laughs> no. emotional baggage about why that should why that's happening and what the solution might be to figure that out. It seems to me yeah. like if you didn't pay for tickets to see the show, you shouldn't be able to be given access in right. that way yeah. from a business side, but also like this is an opportunity for it's a I just keep thinking like, why are these grown ass people waiting at the stage door when they didn't see the show? Well, they're probably to stalk this these people. Uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of those there are professional autograph hunters. That's a real thing. So people will come and get autographs, and then they'll sell them. And there's a secondary market for that stuff. They're also super fans and stuff like that. But I totally agree with you that like I think you should be you should have to show a ticket stub. Like, yeah, like even you, if you well, want to come guys back, do that little like barricade, right? a, so you have to yeah. fit in. The, do you need a ticket to get into the barricade? Because that's what that every theater should have a section that yeah. you have to get into first come first serve, and you need a ticket. Yes, yes, that's really the solution. And, that would and become, it works great at the St. James. So when we come out, like just to get a little context, when we come out, there are people who have seen the show who are lined up and. And the security team keeps people moving. Like there's only a certain amount of people who can wait by the stage door. And if that to me, it, it's been very effective because then I know that even on like the busiest nights, I can go out there, I can connect with, you know, through 20, people, yeah, 20, right? 20 minutes or something tops. And you really to have a conversation with everybody and then it's done. It's not, and it's not even that long usually, which is a really, it's wonderful to connect that way. But with celebrities and stuff, it can get very tricky. And so I think that if you can just be, you know, patient and sympathetic to that person on the other end, you know, who's signing the autograph, like, you know, especially somebody with a massive following. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. I don't think that like professional autograph f hunters should be allowed at Broadway stage doors. I think that yeah. you should have to show a ticket. Yeah. I think that if you can't go like, cause that's a total thing. Like you go see a show one night and then you have to run right, right afterwards. You don't have time to go to the stage door. So maybe you come back the next day or the following day to like try to get an autograph on your playbill. All of that stuff is fantastic. But like just hanging around a stage door, you know, to see your favorite celebrity is, I don't know, it's tricky. It is. Yeah, it's tricky. But I guess back to the context of Steve's question was, what are we expecting? And what we're expecting is hopefully to have a really nice interaction with some people and chat about something that we might have in common or chat about the show or something like that. But know that that we're in the midst of a schedule that spreads us all very thin. Yeah. So if, if an actor presents themselves in a way that isn't the way that you were hoping they would present themselves, try to have a little bit of empathy yeah. for the difficulty of, of our chosen profession. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's in there in, in their commute, right? Like that right. is the, that's part of my commute is like right. walking out of the stage door and walking to the subway. Right. So like, it's just part of the commute. Totally. So be gentle. <laughs> um, Eric Bergen, Eric Bergen interview. What a guy, what a guy, that what guy a story. Should, I mean, he did have a podcast. He did have a podcast. You were about to say he should have a podcast. I, I know. I was about yeah. to say he should have a freaking. he should, <laughs> <laughs> he should what Dan? 
No, he should he should have the late show. I mean, the guy is yeah. one of the most charismatic speakers and storytellers. Like yeah. he, he like tells some of the stories he was telling, we didn't even want to focus on, but it's such an engaging story. It's like, you can't stop him. Yeah. yeah you want to yeah. know what's, what, yeah. where he's going it's with such it. Such a great, know? like beginning, middle and end, you know? Yeah. Um, my favorite part was, it was, and, uh, this is sort of the title of the episode this week was how he was not considered. He, he was told that he is, is not a good Bob Gaudio while he was in Jersey boys playing Bob Gaudio because the movie casting was coming out and, and people were like yeah, casting or somebody said, uh, we don't, we don't see him. We as, don't see him as a Bob Gaudio. He's not right. As he's, he's like, playing Bob Gaudio <laughs> in Jersey okay. boys on the uh, tour. So anyway, it's just a ridiculous industry that we're in, but, um, he's got a bunch of great insight and it was a yeah. really fun interview. I think, I think what I appreciated most about what, uh, what he was able to bring to the conversation was that, humility because he he recognizes how fortunate he is and how he hit early and then made some mistakes yeah and found his way yeah back yeah he talks about right? getting fired he was fired from a job which yeah. is everyone's deepest fear yeah and then he ended up doing the movie version of that yeah show. it's just great so, so you know it's it's just like it humility and yeah. grace and mm -hmm. all those things are like really important lessons and really difficult in this mm -hmm. industry sometimes. And he's got it in spades. Yeah. So, yeah. And he works with my wife, Alex on the first national tour of anything goes. We talk about that. That's that stuff is really fun. Um, and, and Alex always talks about how he was the world's easiest person to make fun of. He pokes fun at himself. He's very, you know, aware in that way that, you know, he doesn't take himself too seriously, even though you have to take yourself seriously. If you want other people to take you seriously, you're blah. You know what I mean? You have to take yourself seriously if you want other people to take you seriously. Right, Joe? <laughs> Good Lord, my tongue stopped working. Uh, we're gonna stop talking and just let Eric start talking. Um, right? Yes, we are. Here we go. Eric. All right, cool. Woo. Eric Bergen, welcome to Guys Who Like Musicals. Just make sure you're recording because <laughs> I, I have places to be. I can't do this again. Wow. <laughs> I only say that because I had a podcast many, many moons ago and the very first episode that I recorded didn't record. Yes. I no. forgot. I think it was when you had to press record and play at the same time. Like, oh. you know, wherever you have to do oh like an old tape gosh. deck. And I just didn't do it. He said this, that you had one of the like first beta podcasts in like 2003. Mm -hmm. He was one mm -hmm. of the Libsyn, beta Libsyn users, right? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I was. That was many, many moons ago. What was ago. your podcast about? It was called Green Room Radio, which I believe... You have a voice for radio. Your voice is... You have a yeah. fantastic speaking. You're voice. listening to... <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was... Uh, I think the was like, I'm Eric Bergen, and this is Green Room Radio. It was very... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it was... Uh, it was a, It was an interesting uh, thing. Yeah, I, I, I read... I remember reading about podcasts, and then there was some, some article in the New York Times. I was in college at the time at North Carolina School of the Arts, and my friend uh, Dylan Heffler, who... Uh, he's not an actor anymore, but he, he, we were at drama school together, and we were we kept thinking this would be a cool thing, really just to get free CDs. We wanted to get review copies of yeah. new album. How do we do this? Okay, so we decided to make a podcast and decided to do an interview show. What's a CD? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I still buy them. Yeah. Thank you very much. You yeah, do? Certificate. Yes. It's a certificate. And because one day, you want the liner notes. I want the liner notes, but they've even stopped making those. I just think I'm I'm going to be the one laughing 
at the end of the day because I think all those streaming things are going to, you know, the, the, the money's going to collapse and something's going to happen and everyone's music is just going to go there away one no day yeah, exactly. and everyone's going to have to come to my house. <laughs> and I will and I will charge a fee to listen to my CD collection. Um, uh, so we just wanted to we just wanted to like, you know, we were we were freshmen. So freshmen that first year can be a little boring. I mean, it, yeah, it's it's yeah. both you're you're both um, overwhelmed and exhausted, but also a little bored because mm-hmm. you haven't you're not allowed to touch text and you're just doing movement. Yeah, um, no. And uh, that's real uh, acting school, Joe. No, well, we didn't have acting class. We didn't have acting until second semester. Where did you go? Michigan. You and went to U of yeah, yeah, we both yeah. went to. Oh, you both went to. Yeah. yeah. Oh, see, go yeah. blue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah. It's one sorry of those. Yeah. But, but yeah, North Carolina yeah. is like one of the great. We had Chuck Bodner on here who loves your school. I am yeah. always seeing people from North Carolina School for the Arts. If you're a young actor in high school. Yeah. Check out North Carolina School for the Arts. It's one of my great regrets that I didn't really look into that program. It's a great school. It's such a good school. And a great group. Wes Taylor and Isaac Powell and all these guys. Yes. Um, And Wes Bergen. Yeah, hello. (laughs) I only went for two years. Um, I wasn't considered alumni until I got a job. Uh, (laughs) And then all of a sudden (laughs) I was was an esteemed alumni. Right. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I was there. My class was Billy Magnuson and um, uh, Matt Loria. Um, Yeah, we know Matt uh, too. Yeah. Great, great actors, and and then a lot of people who who didn't become actors went into the arts in in many different ways. Um, Emily Simonese created a thing called Space on Rider Farm, which is kind of a uh, big uh, writers retreat up in Brewster, New York, for playwrights. Um, are we still recording? Yeah. Okay. It just your face was giving. You were looking at the recorder as if like, oh no, do I just let him go for another hour and you know pretend that we were recording the whole time? You know, no, tell I me just at have any the point. Beautiful job of also producing and trying to speak. So I'm just looking at the levels, making yeah. sure that we're good. All exactly. right. Joe just sits. Yeah. And yeah. Sits. yeah. 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 It's very pretty. And I have a, I have a better microphone <laughs> and yes. a better voice. Yes. So we just get, let him talk. I got it. So Welcome anyway, yes, to I Green had this, Room Radio. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I had this podcast, and it was at first we didn't know what an RSS feed was, and we kept hearing about this RSS feed. We For still those, don't know what that is, no, right. right? Well, you don't have to anymore because you have Libsyn, <laughs> right? For those that don't know, an RSS feed is essentially the piece of technology. It's essentially coding, right? Uh, which distributes the podcast mm-hmm. and gets it out to everyone. But in the beginning, we were like, "What is okay? We get what it is. How do we make this?" RSS feed. And I thought, do I type it? Do I type it like in words somewhere? And it's somehow, we couldn't figure it out. Thankfully, this company Libsyn came along that was like, we got you covered. We do that. You upload the audio file. We'll take care of the rest. Wow. And this was really, this was pre-Apple even having podcasts on iTunes. I mean, this is pre-iPhone. This is pre-iPhone. This is pre-iPhone. This is when it was just... um, yeah, it was Adam Curry who was really kind of running the show, and he had this thing called Daily Source Code. Adam Curry was the former MTV VJ okay. uh, from the 80s who had then become kind of an internet pioneer. He bought, before it was figured out what the internet was going to be, he bought for himself MTV.com yep. and then sold it back to MTV. Right. Uh, he now has several homes. Um, uh, I actually know some people who do that, which is funny. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's still a thing. Right. But, um, yeah, so I I just loved talking about the arts, and I loved talking about, you know, various elements of show business. And for me, it kind of fell in line with the idea of if you want to be an actor, if you want to be in the business, get in the room somehow. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, It doesn't really matter what your job is, but get in the room. I mean, my my summer job was selling T-shirts at Broadway shows. I was selling, I I was working the merch booth at... 
Wicked and uh, uh, Gypsy with Bernadette Peters and The Color Purple and... Because um, you uh, grew up here. I grew up in Manhattan, yeah, right. yeah. Blocks away from where we're recording right now. So it was just, the podcast was just another way of staying in the room. And we were able to, you know, we lied a little bit. We said we're the official podcast of the North Carolina. You know, whatever I could write in an email that made it sound fancier. I was able to get, I mean, we were recording on like two tin cans and a string, essentially, yeah. like Skype in its first incarnation uh, uh, out of my dorm room on an iMac that was the swivel screen, you know, kind of looked like a Pixar character. Totally, and had totally. the swivel, yeah. yeah. Did they and have the color back, too? Didn't they have, like, a That color was the that first was, iMac. Those right. were the yeah. candy-colored... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but this was the one that was, like, a dome bottom, a metallic arm, right. and then a screen got attached it, yeah, to yep. it that could twist. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I got everyone from, like... I remember his name was Shane. I forget his last name. I think it was Shane. He was the creator of The Adventures of Pete and Pete, which yeah. at the time had just been reissued on DVD and I got him and I got Donny Osmond to come <laughs> on the thing. I mean, I, I don't know. It was like the biggest fraud and yet I was really good at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and we, yeah, we were doing it in our, in our dorm room and I remember the day that we, I opened a, a piece of mail that had come from Sony Music and I think I knew what it was and at the time we were, especially Dylan and I, we were big Ben Folds fans. And we were in North Carolina, and we were in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, which is where he's from. So, like, the Ben Folds of it all was all around us. And we got a review copy of his new album before it had come you out. You made it. And I opened the package, and, I mean, I was like, oh, this is cool. Dylan was like, oh, my God, it worked. Like, <laughs> this, this magic trick had somehow worked, and the, the album had actually shown up in our dorm room before it was out into the public. So, um uh, we had a blast doing it, and eventually, I even was doing it all the way up through the beginning of the Jersey Boys tour. Got it. And I think I recorded, funny enough, I, my, the final episode that I ever recorded was I finally interviewed Adam Curry, the guy who had really started podcasting. Mm -hmm. I never got around to editing it, and I never uploaded it, uh. because the Jersey Boys took off, and I kept meaning to do it right. and yeah. uh, it, you know life took over and it just never happened maybe what I should do now it's like the lost tapes yeah. what I yeah. should do is like reissue the lost but somebody somebody actually has uh, Green Room Radio now somebody has uh, uh, that that name and that podcast sure. or something. it's okay they can have it I've moved yeah. on <laughs> you're doing okay <laughs> it's all good. yeah it's fine it's fine I love that. Um, well, and actually, I mean, you you hit. I, we kind of jump around uh, yeah. depending on you know where where we you know the, we lead through the questions and whatever. But you you start on the you started on the Jersey Boys tick just for a second. You yeah, know, hit that. So so take us through because I my main questions for you, and we're gonna get to all of it. It's like I got we got to talk about Clint Eastwood. Mm -hmm. We got to talk about Jersey Boys. We have Is to talk here? about. No, he's not here. Oh, um, he's he's in the, no, he's hiding in the bathroom. <laughs> you um, never know if he's watching though. Um, and then like, you know, as, as, as a guy who likes musicals and a guy who loves the theater, yeah. you have basically worked at the highest level on TV and on stage. syndicated and, show. And, and so we will talk network. about all of that. But, sure. But moving into the Jersey Boys thing, because yeah. you had a long history with Jersey Boys. Yes. It was, uh, on tour and in Vegas, correct? On tour in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So how did that journey start? Um, I was, well, I was a child actor, so I had, I was working in the business here in Manhattan from when mm -hmm. I was 10 years old. 
Um, I had a, an agent and a manager, and I kind of did everything from commercials to Nickelodeon to, you know, fruit roll-up voiceovers and all of those shenanigans. I mean, the, the goal was just to be the kid in the Crossfire commercial. Right. Uh, oh, my God. It never, right? Yes. I wonder what happened to those kids. Totally. And, like, they were just, stars to you me. You just took me back to, like, a very vivid, like, seven, eight-year-old looking right. at the TV being like, I want the Crossfire game. Right, exactly. Where are you from? <laughs> I'm from Michigan. Oh, you're from Michigan. Yeah, Where yeah, are you yeah. from? Rhode Island. Oh, yeah. it's famous for you. Uh, <laughs> I say that joke every time someone says they're from Rhode Island. No You've one. met people from Rhode Island? I thought there were only like people five from of us. No, no, no. Well, <laughs> I think, you know, population-wise, that's kind of true, but uh, yeah. uh, no. We could also edit out this portion of the podcast, <laughs> the dad jokes. Um, so I was, I grew up uh, here in the city and I grew up around theater. The first Broadway show I ever saw was Big the Musical. And that wow. was really what made me want to do theater because I was obsessed with MTV growing up. I wanted to be Michael Jackson and George Michael. And uh, it didn't work out either well for one of them or both of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. We can also edit up that. Um, uh, I'm basically, you're going to basically have. 15 minutes of content you can use yeah, from this perfect. interview. Just you talking about your podcast from 2003. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> that's Good night. Credits perfect, roll. Perfect. Um, I, uh, uh, and then I went to Stage Door Manor for seven years, which is the, oh, wow, uh, seven the years. theater camp up in the Catskills. Of course, yeah. Um, and so that was kind of like my musical theater training, way more than college or anything yeah. like that. And so I, I fell in love with theater, but I also had this this love of pop music and rock music and I, I never I never really fully went over to wanting I was never obsessed with Bernadette Peters and I was never obsessed with you know wanting to I know um, I mean I love her but yeah. I mean I was not you, <laughs> you know were, what I mean it wasn't so these, young, I it. you were just so young you didn't know I, that's right exactly <laughs> but I was just I just wanted to I, I, I loved the theater and I loved pop music and I didn't ever really know how I was going to be able to get them together right um, and then I went to college, and after my second year of college, I, uh, I, I dropped out. One of the first jobs I got was the, uh, the, the show uh, White Christmas, which at the time, it was a stage musical based off the movie, and at the time, it was the second year they were doing it, and in this second year, they had three that cities that were doing speed? it. Oh, they, that was a little mini tour? Well, it was no, it was pre that. The first okay. year that they did it, which was the year before I did it, they did it in just one city, which was San Francisco. Okay. And then in the second year, they took that cast, who had done it the previous year in San Fran, and they did it in L.A., which is the one that I joined. Uh, so it was Brian Darcy James and Jeffrey Denman, who were the two uh, male uh -huh. leads, and Meredith Patterson and Anastasia Varze, who were uh, the, the two female leads. Um, and uh, 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 they also did it in Boston and in San Fran again that year, but I just did the L.A. company. So anyway, that I did that, <clears throat> and uh, about six months later, right, right as I, sorry, going back one second, right as I was rehearsing White Christmas in the City, this is in the fall of 2005, uh, I got free tickets to this show called Jersey Boys, um, and I don't even know how I got free tickets, but I did. And I thought the last thing this world needs is another jukebox musical. This is coming <laughs> off of Lennon. This Which is, is coming so off funny because oh, wow. now we're 15 yeah. years later. Right. Like this is coming off of Lennon. This is coming off of Good Vibrations. Oh, and I God. thought, yeah. really, we don't need this. And I was like, who? I mean, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. It's like I couldn't. I couldn't. I knew the band, but I couldn't tell you one song that was by them. Yeah. And I saw the show, and I brought my dad, and I thought he would love it, you know. And I, it was one of the greatest 
experiences I had ever had sitting in a theater. Yeah. And I just completely fell in love with it. And I thought, oh, this is exactly what I've been looking for this mm-hmm. whole time. Right. My father said to me, I think at intermission, he said, no, you could play that that Bob Gaudio part. It'd be a good part for you. And <clears throat> at the time, I had a little bit of a complex because I was 6'3". I still am 6'3". So I was only, I was so aware of my height mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. And being, I was uh, 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 19 when I saw Jersey Boys. So I was just so aware and awkward about it that I was only looking for parts that were about being tall or, you <laughs> right, know, only right. had tall people playing them. And uh, uh, Danny Reichert, who originated that part, uh, he's of normal height, you know. He's like 5'11". <laughs> right. He's a Michigan he's, guy. Yeah. Yes, he is, yes. Yeah. And um, anyway, that was in my head. An audition popped up a few months later for it. I went in. It was about uh, a, a week later that I got the part, and this was my first real job as an adult. I was 20 years old. This is in the summer of 06, and I um, left on the road for Jersey Boys. We opened in San Francisco. We launched the tour was there. Was the we first did, national? It was, this was the first wow. national. Wow. And they did this weird thing where they, um, they used San Francisco. I don't know if this was always the plan or if this is just what happened, but they ended up using San Francisco as like, the launching pad for the various companies of Jersey Boys. So we started the tour there uh, in uh, December 10th, 2006, um, and we were there for about six months. We took the tour to LA, um, and then a new company came in uh, that they played San Francisco for another few months, and then they went to Chicago. So they Ah. kept using San Fran as the launch pad for the various tours. I say that uh, the first national went directly to Los Angeles, but I just realized as I was saying that that's kind of not true. We did. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told this story. <clears throat> so we had to leave the set behind in San Francisco because the new cast was coming in. By the way, the full circle moment, the person who took over for me in San Francisco as Bob Gaudio was Drew Galen. Oh, so... We'll get to that part later for those of the people who are listening and don't know, don't know who what Drew the hell is. I'm talking about. Right. Well, everyone knows who Drew Galing is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, we left to go. We had a little bit of a hiatus before we got to L.A. And we were having a new set in L.A. So technically we had to tech on this new set because it's, we have to figure out how it all works. It was apparently the same dimensions or just slightly different but we couldn't get into the Amundsen Theater in LA so until it was time for us to start the show. So we went to New Haven, Connecticut. We flew all the way back across the country, back to the East Coast, to tech on this new LA set. Whoa, what? <laughs> yes. We had a week at the Schubert Theater in New Haven to tech on this set. They decided at the last minute to for the two run-throughs on this set after a week of teching to sell tickets. tickets. Let's do it. Why not? (laughs) But there were no costumes. So we did two performances of Jersey Boys in rehearsal clothing, you know, kind of beige Uh men's warehouse uh, (laughs) rehearsal jackets and uh, jeans. Uh, And you could see our mic belts or whatever it was uh, for a paying audience. It's, it, the idea of that is so bizarre to me now, but we did it. And then uh, we had a week off, and then we, we opened in L.A. Did they say anything to the audience? Yes, the audience like, knew. Yeah. But it was it was just still, we associate Jersey Boys with such flash and right. the red jackets red, and all right, of those right, things. Right. Um, but it still worked. 
you know, you know, it it was still a, it was two of our best audiences we've, we've ever had because we were bringing the tour to the East coast. Yeah. Yeah. So I did, anyway, I did the, we did LA and then we did the rest of the tour, um, up and down the West coast because basically they had to get the West coast out of the way in the first year of the tour because the agreement they had with the Las Vegas, uh, producers were that it can't be in a touching state to Nevada. Uh, while it's in Las Vegas. Oh, interesting. So this is before the sit-down production in Las Vegas. Right. They had to get all of the West Coast out of the way. Correct. Before you actually, because the sit-down production in Vegas lasted for quite a while. Oh, about nine years. Yeah. 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 And I think I think the exclusive with the whole Vegas, you know, West Coast thing was not for the entire time. Got it. Um, yeah. It was just for in the maybe in the first two yeah. years or so or something like that. But um, I, I found out about uh, maybe in September that I was going to be opening the Las Vegas company. Um, there was a third company that had then moved to Las Vegas after the quote-unquote Chicago company left. Um, And that company played the holiday season in San Francisco before they moved to become the Vegas company. Um, They did a little swap with me because there was uh, an actor playing Bob Gaudio in that company named Andrew Reynolds. Uh, who, uh, uh, so on, yes. So we swapped, uh, right over, right on, in fact, New Year's Eve of 2007 was my final performance on, uh, on the tour. And we swapped, Andrew started the next day and then, uh, uh, yeah, we had a few months off and then we, we opened Jersey Boys in, uh, Las Vegas in, in, we started, we started working on it in March of, of 2008. Eight, I believe, and then we opened it in in uh, May of two thousand and eight. Sweet, and, and then it <clears throat> takes you through, the, and then are you there up and for? Um, I did the first two years. The first two years, so yes. now we're roughly two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. Uh, September 9th, two thousand and nine was my my uh, last performance. Your last performance. Yes. Okay. Cool. And then how long? Like, what plays out between you finishing your time with Jersey Boys, Jersey Boys stage show, and uh, how did the the movie come about for you? Well, we're getting right to the oh, anything I goes see. first national tour. Oh, yeah. so that was right. What I wanted to I wanted to like the most tee important that part up, of this interview, <laughs> which is like the whole reason. Well, to, okay, so I'll I, make this really easy for you. Okay. Um, so I was fired from Jersey Boys, Las Vegas. Uh, I was I was fired. Too much gambling. Too much gambling. Too many, and too much hanging out with Siegfried and Roy. And let me tell you, there is not enough time on this podcast. No, I don't. Know. Okay, um, <laughs> I did meet them. They're very, they're very nice. Uh, they uh, said, don't bring the cats. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, so sorry. There's so much of this podcast you're going to have to cut out. It's great. There's going to be nothing left. That's nothing the only thing that Joe does, so we have to keep him busy. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I, oh, I sit, leave it all in. I, I, sit, I sit in the, my dressing room at Frozen and just edit around Dan's ramblings and yes. you know, our guests. Perfect. So it's totally fine. Yes. Great. Uh, no, I was fired because I was shot out of a cannon at 20 years old mm. and never paid my dues. I never, I mean, I paid my dues, literally, I paid my dues to equity, but I never um, metaphorically paid my dues in terms of, I didn't work my way up the ladder sure. in this business. And I, yeah. and I, I misbehaved and I was, I was being a dick. Yeah. Um, and uh, thank God I was fired because I don't, I think if I hadn't been, if I had just been uh, kept being handed um, a job or job, job, job right yeah. with bad behavior. Right. I, I would never have known it was bad behavior. Right. right. So I thank God I paid that price Early enough. Sure. 
Um, so I was fired. When I say that September 9th, 2009 was my last performance, it wasn't my last performance was September 8th. My final time with Jersey Boys was that was um, America's Got Talent when we performed. Uh, Got it. Uh, and I just remember that being on 9909. And that was my, and then I was fired the uh, next day. Um, <laughs> uh, so I was back in the city that fall. I got a part on Gossip Girl. I did two episodes of that. Um, and then I decided to make the move to LA because I don't know if you know this, you're not allowed, as an actor, you're not allowed to move to LA after the age of 29. Right. So you have to, you have to, legally. So you oh, have no. to get that done early I'm enough. screwed, yes, yeah. exactly. It's over. Me Just too. give it up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's okay. uh, the more 30 year olds there are in Los Angeles, the more earthquakes yes, that happen. Exactly. That's how it works. Ah, I see. Exactly. So uh, yeah. I decided, okay, there now there aren't enough restaurants for all of us to work no, at. That's yeah, right. Exactly. There's, not, there's only so many sweet greens. So uh, is this brought to you by sweet greens? Should I not have said we that? have no. This is a joke, actually. Still presented by no one. Guys who like musicals presented by no one. <laughs> so, no, we have no sponsors yet. But perfect. Yeah. So um, we can really say whatever the yeah. hell we want. Okay, good, 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 good. We'll know when it starts to get really, what really clean. That's when you have a sponsor. Yeah, exactly. Right. No sweet green. We're chopped production. Sure, sure, you know, sure. Right, 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 right. Um, so uh, I decided to get LA out of the way, and I did that. And I moved to LA, and I, uh, you know, got a couple of episodics. I started doing theater in LA. I worked. There's a there's a um, a bunch of great theaters in LA. There's a bunch of bad theaters in LA, and I did them all. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but it was just to you know keep working. I got a random job writing a. I somehow convinced a producer in Las Vegas to hire me to write the script and the opening number for something called Vegas the Show, which, by the way, is still running in Las Vegas. Uh, I know. Amazing. It was <clears throat> very bizarre. Um, but, you know, you, I just got by. And then I was uh, 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 the national tour of Anything Goes, the roundabout production of Anything Goes was going out, and they asked me to audition. I was in L.A., so I sent in a tape, and I was cast off the tape. Just off the tape. I think I came in at some point once I, like, already quote unquote, had the job, but they yeah. wanted to have like a dance test with yeah. me. And I danced with uh, the young woman that I would be playing opposite on the tour, um, who is a wonderful actress. And I had this whole kind of day of, of uh dance rehearsal with her and it was all kind of assumed like when you guys do the show, it was like we didn't have the official offer yet, but mm-hmm. we were doing it. And then I forget what happened, but some I, I found out that Okay, you got it, but that girl, she's not doing it. Right. Uh, okay, well, who who is doing it? We don't know yet. Okay. Whatever. I show up to the first day of rehearsal. They have cast this girl as Hope uh, uh, named Alex Fink, who was, I guess, moved up from uh, the ensemble? The or understudy. Swinger? The under, yeah. Oh, she was the understudy she was for the Hope Harper. Yeah. Okay. And I remember at the very first table read, you know, you kind of know some of the songs. You kind you know, you whatever. She opens her mouth, and it was just so freaking annoying. She was so good. And it was just like, you know, and the, we, we all knew that she had just graduated or, like, had not even graduated. It was something crazy right. where it was like, you know, they were still filling out her diploma, and right. here she was yeah. amongst all of us. It was a very young cast, yeah. but it was still like she was young. Yeah. And she was really annoyingly talented. I just remember <laughs> thinking, you know what, just just don't. <laughs> 
because she's just saying because she was singing sitting down and she was yeah. singing that yeah. that that really high soprano so, uh, all through the night or whatever it yeah. was. Right, right. And I'm like uh, all through the night. Yeah. And she's uh, yeah. sounding perfect. <laughs> and I just remember that the Kathleen Marshall, the director, after she finished the song, was the only commentary uh, Kathleen gave during the whole read through was after Alex. Alex's uh, 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 Tony-winning performance <laughs> yeah. at the table read, where she's and uh, Kathleen said something like, "And she just graduated school," yeah, and really everyone right. was applauding, and I was just so freaking annoyed. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she turned out to be uh, 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 just the greatest, and uh, we did the yeah, I did the first five months of yeah. the tour, and then I. Uh, I left the tour. That tour was brutal. That yeah. tour was really brutal because yeah. that was a show that's, I mean, Anything Goes is really a dance show and Kath, so Kathleen dancing. made it even yeah. more of a dance show. Right. You know, it was, the, it was the Olympics yeah. of dance. And um, I'm a uh, singer who moves yeah. well as a, a breakdown, uh, uh, <laughs> to, to quote a breakdown. Um, and I kept thinking that Kathleen at some point would alter the dance for me <laughs> um, because she had choreographed it on Colin Donnell, who is this surprise, secret, brilliant dancer. Mm-hmm. You know, he everyone thinks of him as just kind of like this dude, and then you you put him. He's Fred Astaire, yeah. right. like, and not like he can kind of do it. Like he's a trained, amazing dancer, yeah. and I kept thinking that Kathleen would alter it for me, yeah. and uh, she didn't. She just pushed me to. Figure it out. Yeah, and I kind of figured it you out. You fully figured it out. No, that's a lie. No, I I saw, I well, saw the lying. thing. I saw the thing like five times. Fake news. And, and it's not fake. I was there. I, was I there. listen. I got through it, but I was I was convinced that every performance I had pulled something. I didn't yeah. even know what, but I had pulled something. And Alex, <laughs> you know, Alex and I, we, there's a bit of a height difference. Yeah, she's all of uh, five two, five three, and, right? You know, so that's a solid foot. That's a solid foot, and <laughs> below six, me, right, six three to five right. Three. And uh, I just remember there's one lift we had to do, and I had to fully like scoop her up, and the lift was, I mean, it was like, hold on, let me get down there, and you know, yeah. it was a real like. Ugh! Not she's light as air. I knew right. you were going to do that. The minute that you made the grunt, I'm like, oh, he's going to qualify this because she's weighs, you know, she's, she weighs on, she's 100 pounds soaking right. wet. But but, but to I get saw down you go, there, I know, <laughs> I know you're like, oh my, oh my gosh, no, I'm I think I did, I yeah. did, I did love to make that noise just to uh, make her laugh, and I did, you know, do that thing where like, hold on, every time we did the lift just to make her laugh. Um, it was. It was great working with her, and it was great, of course, working with Rachel York and yeah. all those people. But Billy Crocker is a hard part. You're essentially I running around the entire. So what is? Did you? I did. Not a big deal. <laughs> I knew you looked familiar. <laughs> I knew you looked Phyllis familiar. Academy did I interview you on Green Room Radio? It was pretty much. Uh, no, no, no. The word was out. Broadway.com said he's fine. Yeah, it was. It was. I got through it. It was. It's a thankless role, Billy mm. Crocker. I don't know how it was in your production, <laughs> but in mine, it's basically running around for two hours straight. Yeah. Um, uh, I think I, I think I weighed less than Alex by the end of yeah. the show, and a lot of it going upstairs. Uh, and um, people you, don't realize the stairs. Like when people say, oh. what, do you, "What do you remember about Broadway?" I remember the stairs. Yeah. There's just stairs everywhere. In Waitress, right now, it's yeah. all stairs. Yeah. Uh, and there's no. Um, 
there, I, I had no number in which I could like hit a big note and then get applause. Like my big song in, uh, 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 what's it called? Anything goes ended with like a fade out as the set was moving off. Like I never even got applause for my song. (laughs) You know, so it was. <laughs> Does seem a shame. Right, exactly. Like right, yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. So I, I, it was like, oh god, this is brutal. So I did my first five months, went back to LA. Uh, here's the twist in the story: got diagnosed with cancer after that. Well, Alex, we were talking about this this morning, and if you wanted to talk about that or not, because oh. Alex remembers very vividly, like you guys had just stopped working together, and then she got this text. She's like, oh my god, Eric. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's her fault. Yeah, it's her fault. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's great. Wow. Yeah, she's yeah. just she was radioactive. I hope she can sit with that. I hope she can sit. <laughs> and when she hears that, does she listen to the podcast? Uh, she actually she was our first she guest. Does listen? She was our first guest, and she does listen to the podcast. Which do you is, know that for which sure? Is, yes, because she said that the, the other day. She was running. And she's like, I was listening to the podcast, and I was like, you listen to my voice go on and on about bullshit all day, and right. you're still going to sit and listen to the podcast. That's so, very good, I love you, honey. Thank you. That's very, <laughs> by the way, we should clarify that the the water noise that everyone just heard on these was Dan peeing. Yes. Yeah. Was Dan peeing? Actually, that's the that's the after show. Was Dan peeing? And it's a question. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, like musicals are by poopery. (laughs) Wow, (laughs) this is all being edited out. Yeah. I uh, uh, yes. Anyway, I got to L.A. I was diagnosed with uh, testicular cancer. Did that whole debacle, uh, chemo, that whole thing, and then one of my very first auditions back into the world was the film version of Jersey Boys. Now, to go back one second, as we were rehearsing Anything Goes in the City, I got a call that the Jersey Boys movie was having auditions. At that time, it was being directed by John, John Favreau. Oh. And uh, uh, they wanted to see people who had done the show. So I went in and auditioned. It was just a casting director and the associate in the room taping people. And uh, this is this is in rehearsals for anything goes, and um, I uh, got the call when I was in Cleveland when we were just opening the tour of Anything Goes, that it wasn't going to go any further because casting had felt that I was not right for the role. <laughs> right, that you played for three, three years. years exactly. Right, exactly. Classic. Classic. Right. Yeah, and that literally was the language. They don't feel as though you're right for the role. I mean, okay. <laughs> Sure, sure, sure. Whatever you so, did about business, performances man. of it. Right, whatever. exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, say <laughs> I'm too old. Say yes. you've gained weight. <laughs> say we're going ethnic. Something, but not you're wrong for the, you're not right, right. for the role. Right, right. Um, so anyway, uh, um, I, uh, okay, whatever, move on. I had heard a little bit when, when I was um, going through uh, uh, treatment for cancer, I had started to see online because that version of the Jersey Boys movie fell apart. And then I saw online that uh, Clint Eastwood had taken over the reins of, of directing the film. And he was going to all the various companies of Jersey Boys, Broadway, tour, Vegas, to find people because he wanted to use people that were in the show. And I, I mean, I became such a sad sack. I mean, oh my God, I was fired from Jersey Boys. Here I am sitting in my bed with, you know, recovering from cancer and I'm watching Clint go to visit the show and pick people from, I mean, I was so distraught over, yeah. I thought, you know, this was the opportunity gone. <clears throat> and um, I got a call the summer, the, the, the early summer uh, to go in and they hadn't found their Bob Gaudio yet. 
And I remember the agent, my agent calling me and saying, uh, hold on, I'm sending you over the sides. And I said on the phone to him, just tell me what's the first line of the scene? And he said Frankie's, whatever the audition sides were. Yeah. And I think it was the handshake scene, the scene that in the stage version, it goes into oh, What a Night, uh, right after Walk Like a Man, uh, the Jersey handshake yeah. scene. And uh, he, said what, he said the first line, Frankie's first line, and over the phone to him, pure memorization from doing the show years earlier, I said, I said the words, I said the lines exactly verbatim. And he says, okay, so I don't need to send you the sides. Because I, knew, I had still had memorized the scene because at that point there was no film script that was ready to be sent out. They were using the stage script. Oh, awesome. great. So uh, I still had it in my brain. I went to over to the Warner Brothers lot in in Burbank. There was a, again. Uh, I went into Malpaso Studios, uh, Clint's bungalow on the lot, and uh, uh, did a little walked in, sang the last half of "Cry for Me" a cappella. I did the one scene for a casting associate. That was it. Just, you know, a, a, an assistant on the project, and they were like, "Great, thanks so much." Just like any other, I mean, it's just like not, any other audition. It's not any other audition because you have such a history with the show, but it it Correct. is just another audition. Correct. Like, Thank you yeah. so much. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Yep. Off you go. Right. You're gonna go. Right. I didn't even have a drive-on pass. I mean, th- I remember, you know, I had to park across the street and walk, you know, through the lot. The, the magical thing about LA is that when you have an audition on the lot, and and you don't know how to get to that building, you know, they hand you a map, but you're walking around this. These history, you know, right. it's incredible yeah. to walk around the, the old Hollywood lots because you turn a corner and there's a the bay doors of, of one of the sound stages is open and you see the set of Big Bang Theory or whatever, you know, you right. get to kind of right. see Hollywood in action. Yeah. And I think that's always a, a fabulous uh, a thing. In fact, you lose a little bit of the magic when you get a drive-on pass and you're actually allowed to drive onto the lot because it's usually right next to where you work and you don't get to get lost yeah. in the... Right. Yeah. For the record, I'm not complaining about the drive-on. Uh, <laughs> I still like that. Yeah. Um, so I went to New York. We didn't hear anything. I went to New York. Uh, I did the first reading. I guess it was a reading of An American in Paris. Mm. Um, and uh, on the like the second to last day of American in Paris, uh, uh, after rehearsal, I went to the gym because I had an audition later that day. I had like, it was like a six o'clock audition for a production of Miss Saigon, I think in DC mm. at Arena or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And for, for Chris, is that the character yeah, yeah. of Miss Saigon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, singing Why God Why. Mm-hmm. Now, if you know anything about me, Chris in Miss Saigon is not a character that I was born to play in any way, shape, or form. I'm like Chris's weird, bitter cousin who stayed in America and was like, why are you going to Vietnam? Like, the idea of me playing Chris is such a joke. And so I'm at the gym. I get this call that uh, I've been cast as Bob Gaudio in the Jersey Boys movie, and I'm losing my mind. And I was like, oh, my God, the first thing I think of is call Miss Saigon, you know, tell them I can't make it to this audition. Like, yeah. I'd, oh, my God, I, don't. I was only going to the audition to, like, get my arms pumped up enough to the size of, like, I'm not being laughed at as Chris and Miss Saigon. <laughs> so, and my agent's like, here's the thing. They're already in session, and we're not allowed to talk about 
Jersey Boys, it's easy. Just go to the audition. Oh, no. Just go. Because, you know, look, you have this job. It's probably going to be your best audition ever. You're not going to give a shit. Yeah. You, can, mm-hmm. you can just feel the freedom, no pressure. I was like, you know what? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I thought, of course, I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to go in there and, like, nail it. They're going to see me as this, like, alternative idea for Chris and Miss Saigon. And I'm going to have to tell them, I'm so sorry. I can't. Cut to, it was one of the worst auditions (laughs) of my life. Absolutely. The director started laughing midway through. And I'm not totally sure why, but I kind of felt like, I'm with you, bro. I totally get it. I am not. But why (laughs) the idea of me singing Why God Why, is that's what... The audience would be asking if right, right, I was right, in. Right, right. That. Why? Why God did you why? cast the accountant? Right, as like, right. Know, why did you cast like, the accountant as Chris? <laughs> I mean, this is not. I'm not the understudy. I'm like, no. Oh, they they had they they've made a, a terrible mistake. It's just like if you think of the Venn diagram of characters between like between Doctor Pometer and Chris in Miss Saigon, the 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 Vietnam. You know, army guy and the doctor, and like you know, and then right of all Madam the guys, secretary. It's like no, like the right. things that you do. Really, Drew Galing really well. and I should never, unless you have, <laughs> you know, Drew Galing has a, a, a body fat of like negative four. Yeah, he's a, uh, he's a skinny. And I have a, I have, I have more. Um, but you know, you, you should be. You have to take, I think, um, measurements of one's biceps before you're allowed to be cast as Chris. Chris. Right. Drew and I don't pass that test. <laughs> Um, I love uh, it. So anyway, so yeah. I didn't get it, uh, but I got the movie. I, so just off the one tape, th- that's the yeah. craziest part. So well, you- that's Clint's thing. Clint, Clint Eastwood's whole thing is, the reason why he doesn't go to auditions is he doesn't want, are you okay? You're yeah, not I'm dying? Okay. All right, no, fine. <laughs> is Dan peeing? <laughs> um, uh, Clint doesn't like to go to auditions because he doesn't want to freak out people who are auditioning yeah. that Clint Eastwood's in the room. Right. Great, cool. Um, I agree. Yeah. Um, he also feels, and I think this is great, that like he cast, he, he's going to cast or not cast someone based off of what they do, not what the potential for them to do is, or not, or right. not what hmm. they can't do, or not they want to see more. It's like you're, you'll, you see from a tape, is this the guy or not? That's right. the best way. Right. No, no one has ever booked a job because they realized on their fifth callback that they were the perfect person. Right. You know, when you walk into the room, yeah. whether that you're right for the part or not, yeah. then show us you can deliver. That's all you really. But need. most of right. the time, yeah. they, they absolutely, for those of you who don't know, they just absolutely put people through the ringer. And I was just listening to David Rappaport talking to Anthony uh, Mendel about this. and how David, the, the casting director, David the, Rappaport? Yeah, yeah. And, and how they, I mean, the kid, KJ Apa, who is on Archie in Riverdale, they right. made him test three mm-hmm. times. Chemistry read twice, test well, three Well, that's a little times. different. Here's, yeah. here's a, 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 a different in each situation. Um, uh, in, in television, because you're dealing with a lot of executives and you're also dealing with testing, meaning audience testing. And right. you're, you're, there's, there's a lot of business uh, on, when you're launching a show, especially on a network, because you're really there for advertisers, right? I mean, that's at the end of the day. Right. That's But a movie... Or even a theater piece, especially if you're replacing, I don't know. I think it can just be drawn out to a point where it doesn't necessarily have to be every single time. Right. Clint is certainly an extreme, right? Yeah. One take, he never met me. 
Yeah, doing narrative. but that's also how he is on set too, right? I mean, it's one. It two, is, three and by the way, if you remember, he's casting people who have done the show, so he already knows. Right. You know, he thought, well, why would I not? That's also why he went back to. There was a, a movie script that was written by a separate writer. Um, I think it was John Logan actually oh, who wrote the yeah. first, who wrote the new draft of the Jersey Boys movie yeah. script. He wrote the book for Moulin Rouge, which is oh, right. We did that last summer together. Right. Yeah. So I mean, he and an incredible writer, an writer. amazing writer. But yeah. I think Clint felt when he went to go see the show, okay, this already works. This has already been figured out. Let's just put this on screen. Right. So that's why he hired the original writers, Rick Ellis and Marshall Brickman, to do a draft for the screen. And let's hire people who have done the show for the actors. Uh, and that's why we were able to film it in, I think, 29 days. Wow. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a lot. It was a lot. The making of the Jersey Boys movie was there were... I, I think in years I'll be able to tell some stories that I can't tell now. Um, it was, I think, for all of the bad and good, certainly the, the good outweighs the bad uh, a million times over. Right. And the experience is trumps everything. I, I got to go to the Warner Brothers studio in Burbank every single day uh, with a drive-on. <laughs> and um, uh, walk onto sound stages where they film some of the great film noirs, uh, 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 the musicals, uh, the, the you know the big Hollywood films going back to the '30s. Right. And I got to uh, uh, make a film with Clint Eastwood and Christopher Walken, and uh, of a part that I played in the stage for. I mean, it was. Still, the idea that I'm saying this out loud is like, I can't believe that happened. Right. It's just bizarre that it happened at all. Yeah. There are parts of the movie that don't work, in my opinion. There are parts of uh, the movie that I think are better than the show. Mm -hmm. um, and whatever you think of the movie, it's like, I, I'm always reminded that, it, it, you know, at the box office, it did what it did. It wasn't, that obviously that wasn't, that big of a success then, but it found this second life in HBO, and now it's on Netflix, and 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 all of this stuff that it went around the world right. um, in ways that I would never have predicted. And people write into me and they say they watch this movie, you know, twice a week. I mean, hmm. it, the, the Jersey Boys is going to work no matter what you right. do with it. It's just such a, a wonderful piece. Um, uh, so for all that has been said critically of the film, for me, all I've experienced is greatness. Yeah. Um, it changed my life. It, it was the, one of the great creative experiences and just kind of life experiences I've ever had. I made yeah. some lifelong friends. Um, and Clint really taught me, the, the best thing that I learned from Clint Eastwood is that if you hire the best people in each field, whether it's cinematography or producing or casting or whatever it is, l get out of the way and let them do their job. Mm -hmm. That's the 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 unmicromanaging yeah. of of how Clint Eastwood works is um, something that I've really really taken with me, especially as I start to get into producing, because right. that's the thing that can kill a lot of projects is when you think you know it all and he really right. just let everyone do their thing. And I think a lot of people think about 
the entertainment industry not as a business. It's just like, oh, they're just like, you know, this a bunch of theater kids doing their, their hobbies. But the people who treat it like a business and like a CEO who says, I'm hiring the best people and yeah. I'm going to sit in the room with the with whoever has the best idea in the room is the best idea. Right. You know. Yeah, good, absolutely. Good and, he, and he's an incredible filmmaker. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> the movie he made after Jersey Boys was American Sniper, which was like his biggest grossing film of all time. This giant thing is like, oh, I just missed it by one. <laughs> uh, you know, it was this giant film. Right. And right. Uh, American Sniper gets a, a little bit of a, you know, look, we sit in the, we sit in the world, the three of us, we're often around. Uh, we, we live in this New York liberal theater uh-huh. bubble. So Clint Eastwood is not exactly the, the first name off of people's lips in, in this little community of ours, mm-hmm. um, nor is uh, the story of American Sniper. Right. But you watch that film. It's an incredible film. It's an incredible film. Um, Clint it, it has made some incredible films, and uh, it was really a, a, a life-changing experience for me, and he's the greatest guy and uh, um, very kind. And, and it's true. It, you get two takes to do it. I right. mean, what he likes to capture is the rawness and some of the mistakes of those mm-hmm. early takes by take he just feels that after take 2 right. you're performing right it's a rehearsed performance and yeah. he wants to capture the minutia of not totally comfortable in and it and knowing yeah. what's going to happen right where yeah. it gets yeah. to perform it yeah i wanted um just quickly we should definitely get into some Madam Secretary. Yeah. What's that I experience sure. like? You're about to shoot your sixth season. I had yeah. um, I had Mark Sachs say to me in an audition, the guy who cast Madam Secretary, I was going in for a part, and he goes, uh, this is just like, um, just do what Eric Bergen does on Madam Secretary. That's what this part is. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, oh. Mark Sachs. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Like, yeah. I, And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, so cool. so you're you're now an icon. In the, Thank yes, you very much. Yes. <laughs> I am now a stereotype. Great. <laughs> well, Mark Sachs, uh, his known me since I was about 14 or 15 years old because he's a stage door manor uh, alumni and yeah. he's, he went up there and started to see me and I remember when he told me when I was 15 years old that he said uh, one day I'll get you your own television show and uh, it took about uh, 13, 14 years but he did um, <laughs> and it's you know there's not enough I can say about it I mean this business is Zach Braff said this recently and I, I it's the best explanation of this business that I've ever heard from an being an actor, which is, it's it's all luck, uh, your success in this business, but it's a lottery. You can be good looking. That's uh, a couple of uh, lotto tickets. You can be talented. That's a few more lotto tickets. Um, you can sing that high note. That's a couple more lotto tickets. You you acquire these lotto tickets, but that doesn't mean you're going to win. You right, know, it could right. still go to someone else. Um, as anyone can tell you, buy you can buy a million lotto tickets, and then it's always the up, that one. You know, you're, you up your chances that. with every great thing that you can provide. It still doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to get it. I really lucked out and won the lotto with this because for my first series regular to be a show that lasts six season on a network that's respected. Um, I, I, it's 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 crazy. I mean, I, I and the time has flown by. I mean, we start. I started this show when I was twenty seven years old. Um, I went directly from premiering the Jersey Boys film I, the the day after the movie premiered in L A. 
Um, I had, well, not the day after, I had like three or four days to pack up my apartment in LA, move back to New York, and start filming. And we've been filming here in Brooklyn and Queens for the past six seasons. Um, and um, so uh, cool. Yeah, and it's great. And the great thing is, of course, we, because we film here in New York, not only has our regular cast been made up of Broadway people, but the day players, the the mm-hmm. guest stars, mm-hmm. are all Broadway icons, right. um, and that's a thrill because it's just it. You get Broadway people, you get people who know their lines, who are in out, boom, they know how to nail it. It's right. great, right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, And of course, there's always show tunes on set. That everyone breaks into song. I mean, we have BB Newworth and Patina Miller and. Um, uh, uh, Keith Carradine, you know, the original Will Rogers. Totally. Um, uh, every, everyone, everyone has some connection. Sebastian Arcellus, who then, of, of course, course Se- uh, Stephanie Block came and did a Joe few episodes. Joe wants to be Sebastian oh, Arcellus. Yeah, I want to grow, I want to grow up, I want to be Sebastian Arcellus. He's yeah, the greatest, sure. he, he, he is, I think, the, the best television actor that I have worked with. Um, he's, has this really insane ability I, of course, I, I, as I said that, I'm seeing Sebastian's face right now in my head, taking a little offense. He's like, I can hear him going, television? <laughs> like I, I do more than, like, right, I can just right, hear right, him right, in right. my head right now say that. Right. Um, but he's one of the, he knows how to make uh, something so natural and human that in a way, like, I go the other way. My, my performance is dry and and kind of, M- muted, but it's very, um, perf- I don't know if it's performed, but yeah. it's not natural. Like my, <laughs> my, my go-to is always very like, like I have my isms. Yeah. And yeah, he's got certain- your like character. Yeah, well, yeah, yes. Kind of. And when he certainly has his isms. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah. And he certainly has his isms, uh, as I like to make fun of him to his face often. Cause like I do a great Sebastian Arcellus impression, but it's a physical <laughs> thing. So I can't do it on the podcast, <laughs> but, um, he just has this ability to, really come off as just someone that you want to talk to and hang out with. And and he really is like that in, in real life. Um, uh, so yes, so you should grow up to be the uh, uh, the next Sebastian Arcellus. And when I say grow up, I mean really because he's very, very old. Um, uh, no, it's it's been the great uh, joy of my life. The funny part has been, you know, people know me from, I, I grew up wanting to be in the musical theater and starting in the musical right. theater and that's mm-hmm. I was singing that's my I was singing I was ba 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 yeah. musical theater musical theater musical theater and I remember when uh, I went into Waitress that a lot of the for the first time last summer a lot of people started Your saying Broadway oh debut. you sing Broadway debut yes yeah. Some listen people have come up to me and said um, God you would be Recently, you would, you would have been great in Jersey Boys. Do you ever think about like <laughs> doing that once they find out that I sing? And I say, well, yes, I, I have. People have said, oh, you kind of look like the guy who played, you know, Bob Gaudio. And you look like the older version of the guy who yeah. played and you're uh, just like, no, really, I, don't, I don't see it. I don't right. Know, yeah. Yeah, I am the older version of the guy who played <laughs> Bob Gaudio in Jersey Boys. Uh, so there is this weird thing that happens when you're on a television show that is – in everyone's living rooms on Sunday night on CBS, and it's it plays to it's it's not like a Netflix limited thing. It's a you know we are in every nursing home to living room to airport. I mean, it's just yeah. it it's just it's CBS. It's the biggest audience you can get, yeah. and when you do that, people see you as that character, that person, they mm. don't see you as a quote-unquote actor, mm-hmm. um, which has its pros and cons. Right. So th- th- 
one of the reasons why I really did waitress was knowing that eventually Madam Secretary was going to end, uh, I decided to, I was like, okay, I have to do something that gets me going into the next thing. Right. Uh, and that's why I, I really did that. Um, and now here we are with the finishing up of, uh, of, of this show, and, and um, I don't know what's next. I know that the McDonald's on 130th and Lennox is hiring, <laughs> and I have uh, submitted my resume. Yeah, so you're about three days away from your final performance as Dr. Palmer. What is, yes. and, and this is your second time coming back <clears throat> yeah. um, to your, uh, the show where you made your Broadway debut. What's your, what's your favorite part about, about playing Dr. Palmer, about working on Waitress? What brought you back? Um, Aside from the job offer. The job offer, right. <laughs> um, uh, I'm actually paying them to be in it this oh, time. Great. It's an yeah. interesting I'm way sure of working. I'm sure they'd love that. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, because the show didn't do well or anything. You know, a four-year <laughs> run on Broadway where they recouped after uh, uh, 10 months. Right. So um, cool. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I, I love the show. I, I, I always gravitate towards uh, comedy, but also comedy that has heart. I mean, you know, I think my favorite performance on screen, male performance on screen is is Robin Williams and Mrs. Doubtfire because the ability to make you laugh like that and then that twist in the end at the courthouse yep, to completely right. make you lose it. Um, those are my favorite types of shows uh, or, or, or pieces. Um, and uh, Waitress is just a blast to do. I mean, that is that is the reason to do it. Um, I love making people laugh. Um, I, this also happens to have a great score, which is such a rarity, I find, to have music that really does get into people's brains, and that's because yeah, yeah. Sarah knows how to write a real song right. better than anyone, because coming from the pop world, being able to write hooks, uh, being able to, to really uh, 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 have a simple melody line, but that also has a twist, um, and she really knows musical theater. You know, she studied, not only did she know it, but then she went in and really studied how to write a musical, it would right. seem. Right, right. Um, and uh, really connected pop music and, and theater music. Um, so I just love everything about it. I mean, I would not have gone back to it unless I was, I had so much fun doing it last time. Right. And I've got to do it with, uh, I've done it with three different Jennas, um, and each provides its whole different experience. Um, and it's just been, it's just been a blast. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, it's, even though I, I probably always thought I'll, I'll do it after this time, I'm not going to come back to it. This is twice the, the knowledge that now I really can't come back to it because it's closing in January yeah. is like, Oh my God, I really, it's not even an option, yeah. Yeah. you know? Um, but it's been, it's been a thrill. It's been a great awesome. thrill. Amazing. Cool. Well, we should just do our last little, we like to ask if you have any yeah, the, just advice. The advice, you know, young people coming up, college kids, high school, you know, um, what's Eric Bergen's advice? You know, I, I, you know uh, well, I mean, the, the advice I can give is like advice that I have to give myself every day, which that is works. that that whole, that trope that we all, you always hear of like, just be the best version of yourself. Obviously it's, it's, but I think. That thing of looking sideways and that thing of looking at how other people's career right. is doing, right. you know, I still do that. It still makes me, you know, you know, if, if it's like I'm keeping tabs on Aaron Tveit and Jeremy Jordan at all times. Totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, how can you not? Have those you know, no, of course. Like, yeah, yeah. Of course. And by the way, I love both of them and they both sing rings around me, um, but I am having them uh, killed. Um, <laughs> I... Uh, 
it, it's so there's always that the you know if you're going to look sideways, look sideways as inspiration, not as um, a detriment to your to your career. Mm. Because um, I only I I got Bob Gaudio all those years ago because of something that I could provide that others couldn't at yeah. that time. I don't know what that was necessarily, but whatever it was, it was something they saw. I'm not, I'm hardly the greatest singer. Uh, I'm certainly not the greatest dancer, but whatever I can provide is something that some people seem to find useful. So that idea of knowing who you are, knowing yeah. what you can provide. Mm-hmm. You know, when I had this opportunity for Waitress and they had me come in and audition, my, I remember my agent called me and says, we're really trying to get it so that you don't have to audition. You know, we're trying to get them to just offer it to you, but they don't, none of those people know you. None of those people have worked with you before, so they don't really right. know your, so they're requesting that you go in to audition. And I said, yeah, I'll audition, absolutely, because I knew that I was going to get that part. Not right. in an, really not in an ego, I mean, it's the ego, but it's not in an egotistical way. Yeah. It was that I knew I was the person for that part. Um, and I knew that Aaron Tveit and Jeremy Jordan were busy. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I knew that I could, I knew I was going to nail it yeah. because I felt so, I knew myself, I know what I can provide. Right. I knew that text and I knew what I would do with it. And um, uh, I just knew how to nail that. So it's really about knowing yourself and like just finding your thing. And sometimes that takes a minute. Yeah, and you bring bring so much of yours, having seen you do it so many times, right? Like what you're doing, I know from the top down, multiple creative team members have told me that you are their favorite playing the role. Now name names. Tell me who. I can't. Oh, Ooh. I'll tell you off the podcast. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but, you know. their home addresses and right, cell right. phone numbers. No, and, and I think the reason is that you're doing exactly that. I think what I've learned most from you is that it's not about trying to be anybody else or any, like you are doing stuff that no one else in the role has done because it's the most true to you and that's what audiences respond to yeah. i think the trap that i've always fallen into as a college student was like wanting to be jeremy and aaron right or derek or right. colton ryan or right. any of these guys who i am seeing in auditions and losing roles to and right. i'm like well how do i be more like them right and that's not the answer no, the answer more, is right. how am i more dan tracy how am i more eric bergen right and that's how you've made this career for yourself and and, and all of those people you just named it's so funny because i think of them as so different like right. those the, those people that you just named couldn't have been more different and each of them are bizarrely talented and going back to Alex Fink, annoyingly talented. <laughs> right. And and that's the thing. If you can look sideways and look at your cohorts and be inspired by them and and use it as inspiration to like, oh, I gotta be better at this or whatever to do that, but don't use it. It's like I hate that phrase, they beat out someone for a role. Because right, right. no one ever really beats out someone for a role unless you mean physically. Right. Which I'm on the verge of doing. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I I uh, yeah, watch out, Aaron. Uh, um, yeah, so I I I you have to know yourself, you have to know what it is that what you do really well. Um and do that because it. You might not get that part, but you're certainly going to get the next one. Right. Um, uh, and that's I think awesome. that's the. I think that's what I can. Um, uh, I can provide. 
Well, well I'm inspired. Well, and I would say that uh, both Dan and I look sideways and are inspired by you. So, but you mean literally you. right now because you're looking to the yeah, side right. to see me. Okay, well, I was trying to be nice. Do you guys this, want me to give you the room? Should, no, I, okay, should I leave? No, shut up, Dan. This has been Guys Who Like Musicals. Eric, <laughs> I don't get to answer that. <laughs> Eric, thank you so much. Man. Thank you guys. This was amazing. Thanks. Awesome. Are we still recording? Yes. <laughs> Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.